There are certain foods that can help to stimulate autophagy, intracellular renewal, even though you break a fast. What shows on your skin truly is what's on the inside of the body because one of the main agents of our skin is nutrient depletion. Having sufficient protein is so important as you get older. J-Lo in her 50s looks amazing. She's the same age as some of the Golden Girls when they're on that show. You don't do a tummy tuck or lipo as a way to improve your health. It truly is a cosmetic procedure. The best way to turn back the clock naturally was to really do a true integrative approach. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Oh my goodness, friends. I could not ask for a more perfect guest to start off 2024 than Dr. Anthony Yoon. I had been dying, dying to do an episode on cosmetic surgery, cosmetic procedures, all the things. But of course, I needed somebody who would bring a holistic perspective to it while still actually knowing all the things. There is not a better person for that than Dr. Anthony Yoon and his book, Younger for Life. I cannot recommend enough. It talks about so many things we talk about on this show when it comes to theories of aging, how to prevent aging. And then of course, it goes into all of the nitty gritty details of all those cosmetic questions and skincare routine things that you might want to know. And then meeting Anthony, he was just so kind, so, so approachable, so knowledgeable. This conversation truly was a joy. And I can't wait to hear what you guys think. And also, I, for the first time, talk about what cosmetic procedures I have had done. So I think that's the first time talking about it publicly. So that's a fun personal little thing that we go into. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash younger. Those show notes will have a full transcript. So definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And then check out my Instagram, find the Friday announcement post, and again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, Spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal Spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that Spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking Spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, 
they are not one ingredient, there is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque, it can help alleviate pain, and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, 
and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, clean beauty and safe skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences. And I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a band of beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon prime for clean beauty. You get 10 percent back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Dr. Anthony Yoon. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. And I know I always say that, but I am really, I am really, really excited. So the backstory on today's conversation, I have been wanting to do an episode for so long on cosmetic procedures, Botox, fillers, all of those things, especially because so much of this show is about health and longevity. And all of that world is about presenting to the world a vision of youth and health and longevity. So it's a really interesting way that those go together. But then on top of that, there's all these concerns about, well, beyond esoteric conversations about authenticity, there's questions about the potential toxins or is this an issue? Is it healthy? Are there alternatives? So I've been wanting to do an episode on this for so long. And I've actually also never shared what I personally have done in that world. So maybe on today's episode, I'll share that for the first time. Teaser. I knew I needed the perfect person for it. And I thought it would probably just kind of manifest and come to me. And so when I got the pitch about Dr. Anthony Yoon's new book, Younger for Life, Feel Great and Look Your Best with the New Science of Autojuvenation. Well, not only did I see the title and I was familiar with Anthony's work, he's followed by millions. He's on TikTok. He's on Instagram. He has a podcast called The Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. A lot of you guys are probably very familiar with him. So not only was I already just completely on board, but reading the book, oh my goodness. It's like, I felt like I was just hanging out with friends because he um, he talks about everything that we talk about. He talks about so many guests that we've had on this show. I'm just so happy because this is the perfect person to have right now at this moment. And I know you've had a crazy day today. So thank you so much for making the time, Dr. Yoon, and thank you for being here. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me on. No, this will be fun. I appreciate you having me on and spreading the word. And yeah, let's chat about some fun things. So many directions I want to go. And I also did ask listeners for questions and got inundated with questions. But to start things off, in the book, you talk in the beginning about your own experience with becoming a plastic surgeon, your experience with your age and how people think you're all different ages. What led you to doing what you're doing today? And in particular, this spin you have on it where you do come from a holistic perspective. Yeah, thank you for asking. So yeah, I'm a board certified plastic surgeon. I did my tradi- I did traditional training in medicine. I have an MD from Michigan State University. I went to general surgery residency training for three years. I did two years of plastic surgery residency. And then I did a year fellowship out in Beverly Hills with a top name plastic surgeon. And throughout all this time, I was taught basically medicine and I didn't know, and this is a term I've used in podcasts, is, is I didn't know what I didn't know. And so for many years, I was a traditional plastic surgeon. I performed operations. I, we did Botox and did a bit of skincare and stuff like that. And I had a patient that really profoundly affected me. I had a patient with a terrible complication after a facelift. Not her fault, not my fault. Sometimes just when you do surgery, things happen. And it really got me rethinking kind of the whole practice of surgery. And, we, and I was always taught during my training, several things like to cut is to cure. There's a saying, another saying, the only way to heal is with cold steel. And so as surgeons, we pride ourselves in the operations that we do. And so if you're a general surgeon, the the operation that you want to ideally do is the biggest, most complex, hardest operation, and that's the Whipple. The Whipple is a 10-hour cancer operation that if you're so lucky that you can scrub into a Whipple, then you are really fortunate. For plastic surgery, that surgery is probably the facelift because people may trust almost anybody to to do their liposuction, but you know if you're going to do somebody's facelift, you've got to be the cream of the crop. And so for many years, I gauged the success of my practice based off how many facelifts I was doing. And then after this complication happened, it really got me into thinking, am I really doing the right thing? You know, is the goal of plastic surgery truly the goal that I was always taught to bring people to surgery, is that really the right thing? And I realized after many, many months of just kind of soul searching that the goal of being a plastic surgeon should not be to bring patients to the operating room. It should be the opposite. It should be to figure out how I can keep patients out of the operating room, yet still help them to look and feel their best without going under the knife. And so this kind of got me onto the path of alternative medicine, holistic medicine. I started reading books from alternative medicine physicians, from nutritionists, from dietitians, from dermatologists and skincare specialists. And that led to this new book of Younger for Life. And it's this whole different way of looking at aging from a more integrative perspective, not the traditional kind of cut first plastic surgery. Okay, now I think listeners will understand why you're the perfect guest for this show. And for listeners, by the way, I cannot recommend enough getting Anthony's book. It's so amazing. And so it dives into, you know, theories of aging and the history of aging and then your your plan that you have, which is so fascinating because part of it is focusing on how we're supporting collagen in our skin. And then the second part, something that listeners will their ears are going to perk up. You have this autophagy supporting diet that involves intermittent fasting. And, and then on top of that, then the book is a valuable resource where you give your thoughts on all the questions people have about all these potential different cosmetic procedures. So get it now. It is the best resource ever. 
Yeah. So the idea is this concept of autojuvenation, and it's this belief that, and I feel it's completely true, is that our bodies contain immense regenerative abilities, and it can rejuvenate itself. But we have to give it the right tools and the right environment to do so. You know, for me, like you know, this morning we were talking before we recorded. I did a tummy tuck on a woman who, all her life after having kids, she had just a ton of extra skin of her tummy to the point where, prior to surgery, she was embarrassed to show it to her spouse who she's been married to for decades. And so I brought her to surgery. I removed almost eight pounds of excess skin from her tummy. And, you know, we take patients as plastic surgeons. I take somebody who's healthy and then I operate on them. I make them technically unhealthy and I expect that they're going to become healthy again. And when you think about it, like that is like the ultimate of arrogance of like, I could take somebody who's healthy, make them unhealthy, and then just expect that they're going to be healthy again. And they are because the body contains this immense regenerative potential, but we have to give it those right tools. And so what are those tools? Basically, it's five main things. It focuses on what you eat, when you eat, nutritional supplements, skincare, and non-invasive treatments. And I firmly believe that if we focus on these five things, that 80 to 90%, almost everybody can look and feel incredible and hopefully not feel like they need to go under the knife in order to get there. You know, there's still some things that you can't treat without surgery, like this patient who's got eight pounds of excess skin hanging from her tummy, you know, going on a healthy diet, is not going to make that go away. But short of those types of things, I think the vast majority of people can just look amazing and not feel that they need to go under the knife. I love it. And that made me think of two very random tangent questions. One, just because like I said, I asked listeners for questions and I got a question about tummy tucks from Tara because she said she was interested in it for weight loss, but she was scared of the the recovery. She asked a really interesting question though. She wanted to know if you had thoughts on how, if you're coupling it with liposuction, so I guess this could also apply to just liposuction in general, how it affects potentially brown fat. Have you thought about that? Like the type of fat that you're taking out? So a tummy tuck is an operation to remove excess skin from the tummy, typically after massive weight loss or after having multiple children. So it is not a weight loss procedure. No plastic surgery is technically a weight loss procedure. Now, from this woman, I did remove eight pounds from her tummy. So yes, she will lose those eight pounds technically, but it's a very hard way to lose weight, essentially. (laughs) You know, that's not necessarily why we do it. Liposuction, the idea behind that is removing fat that is stubborn stubborn fat in areas that are disproportionate on the body. So for example, you know, let's say you've inherited saddlebags, like fat pockets on the sides of your thighs, and your mom has it, your grandma has it, and you have it, and you're like, look, I want to get rid of this. Or maybe a guy will inherit love handles, and it's just, you know, no matter how cut this guy gets, he's always has love handles. That Those are typically what we ideally do for lipo. Now, sometimes with lipo, people will do, you know, kind of a massive amount of lipo just as a general kind of debulking, but that's not typically the usual. It's not the ideal because, you know, we max out with liposuction. You can remove a total of five liters of liposuction at one time, according to the FDA, before or anything more than that, you need to have blood products available and do it in a hospital setting. Five liters is going to be about, when you take out the blood and everything, maybe 10 pounds. And that's the most, you know? So that's, and that's, you're probably talking a four-hour operation, significant recovery time. Like, that's a, a hard way to lose 10 pounds. There are a lot easier ways to lose 10 pounds than that. And so that's the way I would, in general, look at lipo and a tummy tuck. 
And then, and that doesn't necessarily affect brown fat. You know, that's a whole other deal. You don't do a tummy tuck or lipo as a way to improve your health. It truly is a cosmetic procedure not to improve your health necessarily. What about laser lipo versus like normal lipo? (laughs) Yeah. So normal lipo, you basically inject anesthetic solution into the fatty area and then you physically remove the fat by sucking it out essentially. And so there's going to be some traumatic because you got to suck it out. You use a long metal cannula, like it's kind of like a long metal rod and you break that fat up as you're sucking it out. Laser lipo has an added step where you take a laser insert it under the skin and you try to heat the skin and the fat with that lipo before removing it. And there was a belief that that will help to tighten up skin. In reality, the amount of skin tightening you get from it is negligible. It's very minimal and it is more considered to be a bit of a marketing gimmick. You know, it was was really popular probably about 10 to 12 years ago. And now most of the companies that had laser lipo have discontinued them because doctors and patients have figured out that it really doesn't do a whole lot. And now you've just got me thinking, because we often hear about how fat itself can be inflammatory and self-perpetuating and release inflammatory cytokines. When people do fat transfers, does any of that ever transfer over? Like, can people get inflammatory effects where they put in fat somewhere else in their body? You know, that's interesting. So the idea behind fat transfer is that you liposuction fat, you keep it sterile. Sometimes you'll purify the fat so you can remove like blood and fluid from it. And then we re-inject it into parts of the body that you want to be fuller. So the most common area is the face. I do a lot of that in the face. The benefit is that our face ages in three dimensions. And by adding fat back into the face, it helps to fill areas that may have gotten thinner with age or, or you know, more narrow or gaunt. Another area that we injected is into the buttocks. That's kind of controversial because it does have definite major risks and people die from that operation sometimes because if you actually inject the fat into the blood vessels of the buttocks, people can die very quickly from it. So it's an operation that is still being done quite a bit. I don't do it because of the risks and it has to be done very carefully if you're going to have a BBL. That's, That's the BBL operation. And then the final area that's commonly injected with fat are the breasts as, a, as an, another option to basically enhance the breasts. That I have my own concerns with too, long-term, you know, fat is chock full of stem cells. Is that going to potentially, you know, impact the future risk of breast cancer? We don't know that. Really, when you inject fat, only about half the fat or less will stay in that body part. As far as creating inflammation there, I mean, you know, fat with estrogen, you know, you can get estrogen deposits, you know, increased from fat, but I don't know that's ever really been studied as far as more of an inflammation perspective. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers. 
and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show, like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys, and you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. And just really quickly, because my friend Morgan asked, she wanted to know if you had thoughts on the new lasers for the chest that help with the boob jobs, like the new lasers, does that ring a bell that they do now before the boob job? I do a lot of breast surgery that I've not heard of. So I'm not sure, you know, the problem that you have now is that there are doctors who make up their own marketing kind of gimmicks and they'll say, Oh, I do this and it does. And and it's going to be so much better. And it literally is just a lie. It's just to kind of market to kind of get them out there. And a lot of times they'll give you know, very fancy names to things. So for example, many years ago, the number of facelifts performed by plastic surgeons dropped significantly for a few years because there was this procedure called the lifestyle lift where they had all these paid ads on cable TV and stuff. And, and people were all around the country were opening up these lifestyle lift centers where people would have these quote unquote revolutionary mini facelifts. Well, essentially it was a regular facelift. They just did it under local anesthetic and they just weren't very aggressive with it. And so for many years, they bought all these ads and people had these operations done. And it took a couple of years before the public realized that it was just a big scam that there was nothing revolutionary about it. There was nothing special about it. And in fact, the doctors performing it were low quality surgeons. And so the results were not good at all. And eventually the company went bankrupt. But that hasn't stopped a lot of other people from kind of taking that model and doing it the same way and saying, hey, we're going to create this quote unquote revolutionary procedure, even though it's the same thing that other doctors do, or maybe it's not even as good we're going to market it for you know in some way and then basically fool people into having it done and and there you go and there's this happens all all year long with procedures so you just got to be careful you know i think that if if you're having a surgical procedure you're in biohacking like you can't biohack a surgical procedure you can biohack other things but like you know if you've got like a secret to a surgical procedure We've thought about it, and and if anything is truly revolutionary, doctors will share it with each other. Like it's not going to be like a secret. If you've got a secret, then in the end, it's the reason why it's secret is because you don't want to share it because you know it's BS and that it's nothing special. Wow. Okay, I love that. Yeah, surgery is very very different than non-surgical things like biohacking. You cannot biohack in surgery. You know, you can't just try stuff. Like, and if you do, unfortunately, you're experimenting on patients. And that can become, when, when you deal with surgery, that can become a very, very difficult situation. Wow. So I guess the first surgeries for all these different procedures, they were like the initial experimentation? Or was it pretty much known how it was going to turn out? 
It depends because sometimes you can take surgeries and you can do little tweaks to see if it improves. And, and these are this is what we discuss at our conferences. But to, to create a new operation is not commonly done. Usually it's some type of offshoot of something that's already been done. So yeah, I mean, we do advance by trying new procedures and techniques, but it's not quite the same, I would guess, as like a biohacking thing because there are such huge ramifications you know, you have to be very careful with that type of thing. That completely makes sense. You know, because I mean, the, the drawback is a patient could have a complication. And and just real quick, when you get sued and knock on wood, I've been in practice 20 years, I've not been sued yet. But when you get sued, what they sue you for is performing a procedure or doing a decision outside of the standard of care. And and that makes it very difficult to do stuff stuff like a like quote unquote biohacking of surgery because you're essentially then trying something that's different that's going to be outside the standard of care and if they have a bad outcome from it you are liable for that that's a big deal. Wow, so it's pretty difficult to innovate in the world of surgery. It is difficult to make like a massive innovation, like a new. Yeah, you can. There are little tweaks. So these operations that we do, we make little tweaks along the way, which really is the best way because once again, you don't want to do a massive, you know, massive different operation and then find that your patient had a bad outcome from it because you should have done something that is tried and true. You know, that's not fair to the patient. And patients aren't going to sign on to that. Like, well, I know that this tummy tuck, if I do it like the way that, you know, if you do the tummy tuck the way you've done the last 1,000, I'll get a nice result. But if you try this new thing, then maybe it will be better or maybe everything will fall apart. Like, <laughs> that's not okay because <laughs> it's a person's life you're dealing with here. And, and you can't, you know, biohackers a lot of times will biohack their own body first. Well, I'm not going to test my techniques on myself. That's not possible. So <laughs> there you go. Although in the past with, with medical stuff, doctors sometimes would try stuff on themselves, but not surgery so much. Stuff you never think about, or at least we never think about who aren't doing surgeries. Okay, just some spin-off esoteric questions that this made me think of, because you were talking about basically hinting at the signs of aging and like losing the fat and looking gaunt and things like this. This is super esoteric, but I have thought about this before. Do you think... So aging, like the concept of aging and how it presents on the face, you reference a lot of really incredible studies and you talk about a study where people's, like how old they look, I think it was like a Danish twin study, how they look on the outside correlated to their actual ages, which is very, very cool to read. Well, it correlated, how they looked on the outside correlated to how long they were going to live. And so the younger looking of a pair of identical twins ends up living longer than the older looking. But the big question is, is correlation versus causation? You know, is it that the younger looking twin was just healthier? And so that's why they live longer. And, and I think that's probably more of what it is because really, you know, I have a friend of mine, probably a common friend, you know, Trevor Cates, she's a naturopathic doc. She was um, possibly going to come on the show, actually. So Yeah, yeah, she's great. I need to read her book. It's like sitting over there. So. so she calls our skin our magic mirror, which is so true. It really shows what's going on on the inside of our body. I mean, it's, a, it's our largest organ. And what shows on your skin truly is what's on the inside of the body. And especially when you deal with the gut. You know, there's something called the gut-skin axis, where there is a direct correlation between the health of the gut and the health of the skin something that we're learning more and more about. But now there are some studies that are showing connections between the health of the gut and certain inflammatory skin disorders like eczema, rosacea, and acne. And so all of that definitely is intertwined. Do you think we're born with the 
understanding of age and how it looks on people? Or do you think it's something that we learn based on, we just see people who are older and they look a certain way and we see people who are younger and they look a certain way. The the view of aging, is it something you think we know intuitively or is it something that we learn just because we see it in culture? I do think it's something that we learn and, and all cultures look at aging differently. You know, so my parents, they came from Korea, they're first generation immigrants. And, you know, we always have looked at people who are older as wiser and our elders. And there's always been, there's always been a reverence towards them and an admiration just for the fact that they're older. When you think about it, you know, it may not be deserved. You know, there may be older people who are really like not intelligent or they're bad people, yet you still have to revere them because they're just because of the fact that they survived. <laughs> but you compare that to here in the United States where it's like, what do you, you know, you see older people and they're not, you know, portrayed well in our media in general. You know, they're portrayed as being clueless, as being slow. You know, the, the popular term now here for the younger people are boomers. You know, these are boomers. Now, people consider me to be a boomer, even though I'm Generation X. You know, to young people, anybody who's older and kind of clueless is a boomer. And so, I unfortunately, I think our society has gone in the wrong direction where we should be revering our older folks. We should be respecting them and admiring them. But we unfortunately are kind of doing the opposite now. And we so value in our society youth that I think it's overvalued more so than possibly ever before. I wonder how that will change like in the future. Cause, cause what do you think is the, and I guess we would need to define how far in the future, but do you see a future at all where we completely eradicate aging and then the people who are boomers look young, like really young? I don't think so. I mean, I think in the end, you know, there's, as, as you know, there's a difference between your chronological age and your biological age. I don't think that we'll ever be able to, there's no, never going to be a, a, a magic DeLorean that's going to bring us back in time. Nobody's going to be Benjamin Button. But I do think that there are, you know, realistic ways, and, and you have talked about it before, to biohack your age, your biological age back. But unfortunately, it's going to continue moving forward. That's the problem. And so the way in general, the way I look at aging is that, you know, and I'm 51 now and turning 40 was tough. Turning 50 was a lot harder than that. And the way I look at it though, is that I've got friends of mine now, I had a friend of mine not that long ago who died and it was like, dang, you know, people are actually starting to die now at this age. And so I do look at aging as, as a blessing because God forbid, I wouldn't want the opposite of that, which is you're in the ground. But at the same time, I think this is a very exciting time to get older because we have so many things that we can do to turn back the clock and to slow down that aging process and to feel and look amazing even in our 50s. I mean, I was sent a, a meme the other day from there's a, one of my old favorite bands growing up was the Traveling Wilburys. And this was an old super group of George Harrison, who was from the Beatles, Roy Orbison, who was like big in the 60s, I think, Tom Petty and Bob Dylan. And like at the time, they were considered all these old geezers that got together for the super group. And I just found out that most of them were in their freaking 40s. It's like, dang. Or you find out that the Golden Girls were in their 50s when they were on that show. Aging is looked at very differently now. We have so many things available to us. So that even though chronologically I may be 51, the hope is that you can feel, look, and act like maybe you're in your 30s. But it, once again, it comes down to this concept of autojuvenation. It's the fact that our bodies have these, this regenerative potential and regenerative abilities 
You just have to give it those tools and the environment for it to do so. And I firmly believe that, yes, you know, you can look and feel great when you're in your 60s, 70s, and 80s if you do those right things. It's crazy that you say that. I was literally last night listening to a podcast and they were talking about that very concept, about how through the decades, like basically what looked older, it's what you just said, in culture and media, what looked older was like way younger age-wise than it is today. And it's like mind blowing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I don't, it's not that they're just wearing different clothes. It's that we have so much more available to us with regards to skincare, with regards to non-invasive treatments, you know, learning more about nutrition and the immense importance of your diet and even intermittent fasting and things like that, that can help really to slow down that aging process. So that even, you know, like JLo in her fifties, looks and, you know, I mean, looks amazing. And I mean, she's in amazing shape. You know, she's the same age as some of the golden girls where, when they're on that show. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Are there any studies, because I can see how we've made massive advancements with everything that you just said, you know, skincare, cosmetic procedures, so many different things. We also have been saturated for a while in processed foods and environmental toxins and things that you talk about in the book as being an issue. I'm just, I'm super curious do we know what aging looked like on like hunter gatherers? Like they had way more physical stress, but they didn't have like the mental maybe as much. We have to keep in mind that back in those times, people did not live nearly as long as us. You know, I mean, I know that there are biblical stories of people living for a hundred years and 200 years and things like that. But realistically, you know, people back then did not live nearly as long as we do now. I mean, the average life expectancy for a woman is in her 80s, you know, and that's just, it, it keeps extending. But I think what we have to be wary of is the difference between health span and lifespan. And the fact that, yes, we are extending our lifespan. So people are living into their 80s, but what is the quality of their life? And that's a part of the book that I think is really important is the fact is, is that, you know, you can look younger, but what is your quality of life as you get older? And the ideal would be to have a long health span where your, you know, health span is lifespan is how long you live. Health span is how long you live and feel active and feel good, active, be productive and all of that. And, you know, here in our society, unfortunately, you get people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they have just been basically kept alive by modern interventions. You know, they're not healthy. They're on multiple medications. They may not be very mobile. They're in chronic pain. They may have invasive procedures done every several months. You know, that's not the best way to live. And the ideal is what you see in some of these other countries where people are active well into their 80s, and then all of a sudden they die, you know, when they're 90 or something from, from a quick illness. Like, that's how I would like to go is I would, I want to be that person who's in his 70s, hiking, you know, in the mountains and things like that, traveling all around the world and feeling active and alive and, and really feeling good about how you look, you know, there, that's a part of it as well. But in order to do that, once again, you can't just take all of this for granted. You know, it's not a lot of work to turn back the clock that way and to feel and look your best, but it does necessitate following your diet. It does necessitate ideally doing a little bit of intermittent fasting if you can, you know, adding those supplements in so you're not nutrient depleted and then working on the skincare and maybe even some non-invasive treatments if you can. And even with the, um, like the super centenarians that live to be, you know, 110 plus, it's the same trajectory as you just mentioned. Like, you know, they're like great typically up until the end and then they very quickly just die. Yeah. They're not sitting on the couch, you know, eating popcorn and chips, watching TV every day. <laughs> you also, I thought this was so interesting because you referenced a 2018 study in the book about 
the age of people and whether or not they want to live longer. And it found that the older people were, the more they wanted to live longer, whereas the younger people weren't really thinking about longevity as much. That speaks to a theme I've been encountering in life because I've I've been obsessed with this topic. I remember the first time I thought about aging and how I needed to like stop aging. It was when I was 11 because Spy Kids came out and I was like, watching it and I was like seeing how old the main actress was and I was like okay she's like I think she was like 13 I was 11 I was like okay I was like okay I've gotten until I'm 13 to like have made it <laughs> don't move so hard with yourself I know <laughs> I'm like and then I kept having to like move it back a little bit I was like okay well 13 but that's when I started becoming uh, obsessed with aging like living forever and I thought everybody wanted to live forever apparently they don't do you want to live forever no no, I don't. I don't. That's the common answer. Well, our, our common friend Dave Asprey wants to live to 180. That would be nice, but I think it's unlikely at this point. For me, you know, I think I look at it on short-term stuff. So I think you know, I've got two kids. One's in. Uh, they're both in high school. One's a senior, and my daughter's a sophomore. My number one thing right now is I want to make it to her to walk her down the aisle at her wedding, and if I do that, then I will be happy. But we'll see. Like right now, that's my immediate goal. I mean, I don't know when she's going to get married. She hasn't hasn't even had a boyfriend yet. But someday, I want to be there to walk her down the aisle. And then once I do that, I will die a happy man, probably. And who knows, maybe I'll, I want to go longer than that if I can. But but yeah, I don't look at it from like Dave's perspective of, oh, 180, what am I going to do to, for me, I look at, okay, what am I going to do to get to to that point where my daughter gets married and her dad can walk her down the aisle? I love that approach. And I wish, I sort of wish I felt that way. I feel like that would be an easier perspective, but yeah, I'm actually, I'm going to see Dave next week in Austin to record a podcast for, for my other show. So I'm going to have to ask him if his, if his 180 is still, still the, uh, the barometer. Uh, I think it is. Oh yeah. 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 That's gonna, yeah. He's not even like, he's not nowhere near halfway. He's not even a third of the way there. It's like, you got a long ways to go. I know, long ways to go. I would never want to put like an actual number out there because then it's like you you're just setting yourself up for failure. I mean, what I mean, you you, you put a number out there, 180. That's a pretty hefty number. Like I think I'd start at 100 first, but hey, you know what? This is Dave, so you know, Dave Dave goes by his own tune, so it's it's all good. I know it's hefty and it's like highly specific, so I like to keep things vague. But okay, here's a question for you. And I, okay, so I'm going to tell listeners about my my Botox experience. So like I said, I've never talked about anything that I've done cosmetically, I don't think publicly. So this is the first time I had never done Botox. And I'm embarrassed to say I, I was like judgy about it. And I didn't even know exactly what it was. Like, I always thought it was that you were kind of treating aging once it happened. And yeah, so I wasn't really, I wasn't really clear. I hadn't really looked into it. And then I was going to my uh, studio where I do M-Sculpt, which that's a whole tangent. I'm obsessed with M-Sculpt. Are you really? Okay. You tried it? Yeah. Yeah, I have it. Oh yeah, we have it. Oh, you have it. You have it at home? Not at home. (laughs) No, that's in the office. Yeah. Yeah. Man, if I had an office with M-Sculpt like of my own, I would just not be good. I would just be on that machine like all the time. It's very great for like working because you can like do work calls while like getting a workout. Yeah. While you're stimulating your muscles to contract 20,000 times over a half hour. So, and then you build muscle, which is healthy metabolically. My only concerns are the EMF exposure. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's overall a nice treatment. I think that unfortunately, some people make it more than it is. As far as you know, there are claims. I feel like it's you know, it's not the 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 results are nice, but they're still subtle. And I think that's the important thing. And you do have to continue doing it because you know it's like a workout. Like you can't work out once and then be like, hey, I don't ever have to work out again. My muscles are going to stay the same. No, I mean. You do have to continue, you know, kind of keeping things up to an extent. Oh, let me ask you, because I've been doing it for a few years now, and I always ask them, like, what's the best maintenance protocol? And they're like, well, some people do it once a month. Some people do every every three or four months. Yeah, I don't know that there's a specific one for everybody. I do think maybe once every three months would make sense. Once a month is a lot. I would think once every three months would make a lot of sense. Every three to four, I think, sounds very reasonable to me. Like a session or like multiple sessions in a row? No, like a session. I mean, you can always do more. I think it just depends on what type of result you're looking for. And if you want to continue building, then you could do more than one. If you want to just keep it, then I would say maybe one treatment every three months is pretty reasonable. Okay. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash Danger Coffee. 
and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10 year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. That's valuable feedback. I'm, I'm very casual with it. I kind of just do it. I'll be like, I feel like I feel like a session, <laughs> but, um, so they do Botox where I go for that. They finally, they kept trying to get me to come in for a consultation for it every single time. Finally, I was like, okay, I'll listen. So I went in, I went in there being like, I'm never getting Botox. I walked out. I was like, I, I should have gotten Botox yesterday. Like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't realize. And here's the irony about all of it. Cause we talk in the world of biohacking about addressing the root versus the symptom. Botox is literally addressing the root cause. I was like, oh, this is addressing the root cause and it's preventative. It blew my mind. So my question <laughs> and my thoughts, I get ZMN because of the lack of fillers and additives. Is the, well, A, is that correct in how I just assessed it as being preventative and root cause? And B, the the toxin, because it's one of the most toxic things, I think, that we like know about. Does it stay local in the muscle? Are you concerned about it long-term? So yeah. Um, so what Botox is, as you mentioned, is it's a neurotoxin. It prevents the transmission of nerve impulses to, um, to muscles. And so it started off, doctors were using it for the muscles around the eyes that would get spasmodic. You inject it into the muscle and then people would have improvement in their muscle spasms of their eyeballs. Not the eyeball has muscles, but the muscles connected to it. And so they realized that as they were injecting it, that people's wrinkles were getting better. And it was actually a husband-wife team where the husband was a uh, ophthalmologist and then the wife was a dermatologist and the dermatologist's wife was like, oh geez, the wrinkles are gone. And so we have wrinkles called dynamic wrinkles. Certain wrinkles of our face are caused by muscles that contract. And these are called dynamic wrinkles. And there are three main areas. It's the wrinkles between the brows, the frown lines there, the crow's feet wrinkles, and the horizontal forehead wrinkles. All these are caused by specific muscles. And if you inject Botox into those muscles, you can prevent the transmission of nerve impulses to those muscles for about three to four months. Eventually, it wears off and the muscles kind of start working again. So yes, you are targeting the root cause of those wrinkles by tackling those muscles. I'm not a huge fan of preventative Botox. You know, there are people who are in their early 20s who want to get Botox done because they think, oh, I just will never get wrinkles. The problem with that idea is, number one, it is a medical procedure and there are risks of it, although the most I've ever seen of probably treating over 20,000 of them is a droopy eyelid a couple of times over the past 20 years. So it's not like you're dealing with like big potential risks. But the bigger thing is that some people will get antibodies to Botox. If you do Botox too much, or if you've done it for a long, long time, you can get some resistance to it. You know, your body may create antibodies to that Botox, to, the, to those proteins and deactivate them so it doesn't work as well for you. So are you doing yourself a service by getting Botox when you don't really need it, when you're in your 20s and the wrinkles are barely visible, and then you find that when you're in your 40s and those wrinkles are getting deeper, you try to get Botox and it doesn't work anymore because your body has antibodies to it. 
And so you could be shooting yourself in the foot by doing it too early. So for me, I'm not a fan of preventative Botox. Some people call it prejuvenation, where you're actually, you know, preventing wrinkles. But I feel like it's a bit of a waste of of time and money and effort and, and may even, like I said, be a drawback in the long run. As far as complications and, and risks, you know, of it going other areas, Botox can spread. And that's why, you know, once again, I've, saw, I've seen a couple of droopy eyelids over the past 20 years. Not that we inject it into the eyelid, but you inject it, let's say, near the brows, and it may spread down to the eyelid and affect the muscle that opens and closes your eyelid. And so it can spread, but as far as going anywhere else in the body, there was actually a rat study, and this is a rat study, so you don't know if that's the same in humans, where they injected Botox into the facial muscles of a rat, and then they tested the cerebrospinal fluid afterwards and found some botulinum toxin in the cerebrospinal fluid of the rat. Like immediately after they tested? I'm not sure the timeline of it, but they did find it in the CSF of the rat, the cerebrospinal fluid. It doesn't appear to have any you know, known complications that we can tell, but that was something that they did see in one study. That being said, like I said, you know, I have treated over 20,000 people in my office with Botox. It's been used cosmetically for probably over 30 years now. And unless you're getting black market Botox or doing something really crazy with it, I just don't see, you know, significant complications from it. Okay. Gotcha. And, and now I remember how they, they pulled me into the room. They were saying I could do it for my TMDD, my, my TMJ related pain. So I do it for that. And that's been a game changer injecting it into my masseters. The thing that happened to me, and this is actually kind of relates to something as well that you talk about in the book, I've done it or I do it in my forehead related areas not a ton. I like, I just, I told her, I just want like a little bit. One of the times she did it, she kind of like overdid it. She, I don't know. She <laughs> blasted me. It sort of made my, I got the eyebrow dropping effect and I felt over frozen. And it was so interesting because I don't really ever typically experience feelings of depression or anything like that. But for the week or so following where I had that experience of everything having dropped, it made me, I mean, I, I literally felt depressed for a week. And it, and you talk about in your book about a study where the opposite effect, where because it like forces people into a smile, I think, or something. There's something about how it affected people's mood beneficially, depending on where it was injected because of the muscles affecting the mental state, which was cool to think about. Yeah. And it's possible, you know, so the idea is that, uh, and it's a very simple idea. If you're feeling down, if you force yourself to smile, you may feel better. So there are studies that show that if you have Botox done, it can help to improve depression and moods, but also it does make sense if you have Botox done and it makes it so you look like you're frowning, <laughs> that maybe it does the opposite too. I don't think that Botox has some type of psychiatric effect where the actual Botox is, is improving your mood just because it's Botox, I do think it has to do more with your expressions. And you may find that after having that done, and number one, being unhappy with the result, number two, maybe it causing you to have like kind of a permanent kind of, not a frown, but you know, look like you're looking stern, that that could impact your mood as well. Exactly. I'm glad you clarified. It's the mechanical change to the facial expression that you're making then affecting your your mental perception. I just remember going into for my weekly therapy session like the next day and I had a lot of other really stressful things happening, but I was literally just like bawling on the couch about the, 
<laughs> the Botox. And the thing is, you couldn't even really tell that much from outside perspective, but we, but it made me really realize how much we see ourselves a certain way compared to you know, society. Well, I think it's important to realize with something like Botox, the good thing is, is that the results do wear off and within three to four months, it will be gone. And hopefully even sooner than that, that's different than surgery. You know, worst case with Botox is, you know, you you get, you look a little weird for a few months and it goes away with surgery. That's a different story. So you got to take it much more seriously. So yeah, that's, that's the big thing with Botox is just keep that in mind is it is temporary. And then what I do recommend if you're, if somebody's going to actually try Botox is a forehead is the last place to start because that will change how your eyebrows look. If you're going to start with Botox, you start between the eyebrows in those vertical frown lines or, and, or do the crow's feet. When you do the forehead, it can really change your appearance because it it impacts those muscles that will shape your brows. So if you've got, let's say, an arched brow, it may make your brows look more arched or it may flatten them. You know, if you've got flat brows, maybe you'll arch those and that could be nice. Or if you make them even flatter, then that could make you, you know, look like you're really tired or something. So just be real careful with the forehead. If anybody's listening to this and like, maybe I will try a little Botox and start with the frown lines between the brows and or the crow's feet first. It's so interesting because I was like convinced it was because I had it between my brows, forehead, and then like the outer brow. I was like convinced it was from between the brows that was causing the problem, but maybe it was from up above. It was probably the forehead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so interesting. A good story I had since I said I've never said this publicly. I did have a rhinoplasty septoplasty. Do you like performing that procedure, by the way? So I actually gave up doing that surgery about 10 years ago. I did a lot of rhinoplasties early in my career, but I just never, honestly, I never liked doing the operation. (laughs) And so as I got really busy, I'm like, you know what? I don't really enjoy doing this. So I think I'm not going to anymore. So I've been very fortunate that I can kind of cut out those operations. I just don't, don't love doing. Oh, this is so interesting. So what makes you enjoy an operation, like one type versus another? Like, is it the actual physical viscera of what you're manipulating? You know, I think preferring to do certain operations over others, just you find them more interesting. Rhinoplasty is a very difficult operation. You don't think it should be because just a couple of bones and a couple of cartilages. But the problem with rhinoplasty is that sometimes what you see on the operating room table is not what they're going to get afterwards. And studies show that even a minimum of, or even a millimeter of asymmetry, even if it's just due to, let's say, scar tissue, you can see in a normal speaking distance. And so it, it is the operation cosmetic surgery wise, it has the highest revision rate where we redo it. And so just, you know, for me, I don't love revising stuff. Uh, obviously if we need to, sometimes we will, but I find that, I found that kind of frustrating because, you know, sometimes you get a really nice result and maybe you think it looks good if the patient doesn't, then it's like, okay, what do you do now? Cause it's so subjective. So it's just not one that's been my favorite. I did a lot of them. I think I did a really nice job with them. Some surgeons love doing it, but it's just not my favorite. You might be really familiar with this. We have this idea that forming a new habit takes a certain amount of time. And I'm pretty sure it was based off of studies of people getting plastic surgery and how long it took them to see their new self as their new identity. Like that's where that idea came from, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, I think it takes, you know, what I see with my patients when we do, you know, changes, it can take a good six weeks sometimes for people to incorporate these changes into their sense of self. Until then, sometimes they feel that their body is just kind of not theirs or, you know, it's kind of an odd thing, but it, it can take a good six weeks before somebody really is like, oh yeah, I forgot that I had this done. You know, now it's just me. Yeah. My experience though was, it was something I've been wanting to do since 
also since middle school. I just had a bump, a dorsal hump. Every time I think about it, I'm so grateful. It literally just makes me so happy because it, it basically just got rid of something that was really bothering me for years and years and years. And then it was gone. I Because I used to be really self-conscious about looking to the left or looking to the right, like my profile. Now I could. Now I can look to the left. <laughs> I mean, I could do that before. Well, yeah, I mean, with these types of, with procedures like that, whether it's a surgery or, you know, whether it's even just something minor, you know, doing a non-invasive treatment or trying, let's say, red light therapy or IPL, there is a feeling that you can get where, it's kind of the way I describe it. It's akin to like if you go buy a new shirt and you wear that, you know, you go buy a new shirt, you put that shirt on and sometimes it just improves your mood and you feel good. Even though, you know, it's not like people are staring at you because you're wearing a new, a new shirt. You just, you, you take that in and it makes you feel good. And don't we all deserve to feel that about our appearance? You know, I mean, there's so many people that live their lives feeling embarrassed or not feeling beautiful in general. And one of the things I really try to do is try to encourage people that I do think that there's beauty in everybody. I think one big part of beauty is being healthy. And that's really the first step. And so that's why I try to encourage people is, you know, use your vanity to make yourself more healthy, you know, because sometimes, you know, I see patients who like they, you know, I may say, hey, if you keep eating this diet, you're going to get heart disease, you may have a heart attack or something like that. And they don't care. Uh, you may get diabetes, I don't care. Oh, it's going to give you wrinkles. And I go, oh, well, that's the case, then I'm definitely going to change it. And so sometimes our own vanity can be a very strong motivator. And if that's what motivates somebody to, you know, improve their diet, to try taking some supplements, to try some intermittent fasting, you know, to, to take care of their skin, then that's then then that's powerful enough. Like, and, and that's reason enough to do that. It's an exciting time to be getting older because we do have all these options available for us. Well, to that point in your book, the most common question I got when I asked for questions about all this was people really did want to know alternatives. Megan wanted to know what alternatives are effective. Tracy says she feels like everything today is Botox and fillers, and she'd like to hear about other things. Tara wanted to say effective alternatives would be great. So in your book, you have your, your Younger for Life program. And I mentioned this earlier, but you know, we have phase one focusing on rebuilding collagen and phase two on cellular rejuvenation and including this autophagy diet. Those two, so when you were creating your program and your plan, was it obvious from day one that those were the two things or were there like a lot of things and you had to kind of, you know, how did you get to coming up with this program? Yeah. So, I mean, I knew myself, you know, what do I, what I knew obviously as a plastic surgeon was surgery. I need a, knew a little bit about nutrition, but not much. What I ended up doing is I studied the works of a uh, really wide range of professionals from holistic health physicians, from naturopathic docs, to chiropractors, to nutritionists, to dietitians, to dermatologists. And what I wanted, what I felt in my mind was that the best way to turn back the clock naturally was to really do a true integrative approach to turning back the clock. And I knew that that integrative approach had to entail food because really food is the foundation of our lives and of anti-aging and of health. So food was huge. I learned more and more about supplementation and how supplementation can really help impact food because one of the main agents of our skin is nutrient depletion, is that our food is not as nutritious as it used to be. And so adding the supplements in was super important. And then I started learning about intermittent fasting and the effects of autophagy and how the anti, and I read works from anti-aging scientists and how they were really focusing on calorie restriction and fasting as a way to, to lengthen life. 
So one thing we did for the book is we combined everything into a 21-day jumpstart, and we tested it on some people. And essentially what we did was for 21 days, or essentially three weeks, we started by cleaning up their diet. So we put them on what I would say is a collagen-supporting diet. So we got rid of gluten. We got rid of dairy. We got rid of ultra-processed foods and foods that are have added sugar in it. So for the first week, we cleaned up the diet. We added in a very simple supplement plan. Then we had them go on a very simple skincare regimen. It literally took two minutes a day. And then the weeks two and three, we added in intermittent fasting. And, inter- and it was just two days a week that they would intermittent fast. So they would stop eating at 8 p.m. And then they would refeed the next day at about noon. But one thing that we added to this that hasn't been done before that I believe is that we added an autophagy supporting component to it. So what I learned with all my studies was that there are certain foods that can help to stimulate autophagy, intracellular renewal, even though you break a fast. Okay, so the idea behind fasting and longevity is that you can stimulate autophagy, where our cells will build up with intracellular waste products, which are like used organelles, proteins, and mitochondria. And periodically, when you stop eating for a while, your your body's cells can actually use that for energy. But you have to stop eating for that to happen. And so what we ended up doing is we put them on intermittent fasting to stimulate autophagy. And for those days where they refed, we had them eat a very specific autophagy-supporting diet, which are healthy fats and polyphenol-rich foods. And we found that by doing healthy fats and polyphenol-rich foods, we do believe that that helped to continue that autophagy process, even though they were eating at that point, but continue that. And we saw some amazing changes in people's skin after those three weeks. So was that also low protein during that refeeding or not? Yeah. So it was only low protein for that period of time. And I think that that's something that's really important to realize is that especially women, after they go through menopause, having sufficient protein is so important as you get older because you want to avoid sarcopenia. And so I'm not one that intermittent fasts every day. I know there's some people who do that. What we did for the program is we just had them intermittent fast two days a week for weeks two and three, where they would go low protein because protein is going to stop that autophagy process in its tracks. And we wanted that autophagy process to continue. The idea is to try to have a balance between having sufficient protein and then those two days a week where you're intermittent fasting and stimulating that autophagy process to kind of get that intracellular clearance going. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, I was so fascinated to read that part of the book because, you know, normally, especially on the intermittent fasting podcast, we're 
talking a lot about intermittent fasting and it's being often done daily. And then, you know, all the emphasis is on definitely getting a lot of protein, but this approach is a little bit different because it's more, it's like specific and that you're using fasting paired with, you know, this potentially lower protein intake for a smaller amount of time, but to get a more maximum bang for your buck autophagy wise, if I'm interpreting it correctly. Yes, that's the goal is to try to improve the whole, the aging process exactly. And so, you know, I, in, instead of trying to get somebody to to fast for, let's say, 24 hours, which is tough for, I mean, I don't want to fast for 24 hours. The idea is, that, hey, we can get them refeeding, we can get them eating like delicious foods, but hopefully continue with that autophagy process in their body. And then I know you say this in the book, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, so apologies in advance, but on the collagen building side of things, so collagen supplements, (laughs) do they or do they not work? Yeah, so these are really uh, controversial. I comment on it all the time, and we see these comments from people all the time where they say, well, I was thinking about taking a collagen supplement, but my family doctor said it doesn't work. And it's like, okay, here we go. Our skin is composed 70 to 80% of collagen. And we lose about 1% of the thickness of collagen every year, starting about in our mid-20s. So it makes sense that we want to to have our body have more collagen and to ingest collagen, you would think, would then help with that. So what does the science say? Well, the fact is that collagen is a large protein. And people who say that collagen supplements don't work, their belief is that it's such a large protein, how do you know it's even going to get broken down in the stomach, it's going to get absorbed, and how do you know that then that that's even going to get to the skin where, this, where let's say, you want it? Well, the studies actually, are there's a lot of them on collagen supplements and the health of the skin. So, for example, Melanie, there was one in 2021, it was a meta-analysis of over 1,100 people where they put them on a hydrolyzed collagen supplement for 90 days, and they found a statistically significant improvement in wrinkles, in skin hydration, and elasticity of the skin. And there are randomized prospective placebo-controlled clinical trials where they put people on hydrolyzed collagen supplementation for a couple of months, and then they biopsy their skin afterwards and find an increase in the amount of collagen in their skin. There are so many studies out there supporting the use of hydrolyzed collagen supplements to improve the health of the skin, that if now if somebody says, oh, well, the, the science says it doesn't, it doesn't help, they're lying. Like They just haven't actually read the studies then because there's a ton of studies there. Now, if you were to say this maybe five, six years ago, then yeah, there may not have been the science there yet, but the science is there now, and doctors are finally like coming to grips with saying, yeah, it actually can help. Awesome. 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 On the drink side of things, I definitely liked your section on wine. Do you have thoughts on... <laughs> on wine? Yeah. I mean, I am not a huge wine drinker. You know, there is this, you know, they they call it the French paradox of why is it that French people who, you know, eat a lot of foods that traditionally are not heart healthy, considered heart healthy, live so long and have such low heart disease. And a lot of people believe it could be that they drink red wine like almost every day. So red wine contains resveratrol. Resveratrol is a very powerful antioxidant. It's being tested for its longevity features. And so for me, when I look at wine, I think it comes down to there is the the benefits of the antioxidants and the polyphenols versus the negatives of the actual alcohol. Because, you know, make no bones about it, you know, ingesting alcohol is toxic for your body. It's not good for you. I do believe that for most people, drinking one glass of red wine a day is the, the, the beneficial effects of those antioxidants and polyphenols most likely outweigh the negative effects of the alcohol. But more than one glass of wine 
you probably go on the opposite end and that alcohol, the negatives of that outweigh the positives. And, and like you, I assume I'm a big fan of dry farm wines. They're some of the only wines that I drink because, you know, they are screened for purity. They are low sugar. You know, it's interesting because if I drink uh, dry farms wines, I feel fine afterwards. And I typically don't wake up with a headache or anything. Other wines, sometimes I start itching. Sometimes, you know, it makes me a little bit flush. You can feel kind of crummy the next day. So it is, it's fascinating how they have, I don't know what exactly they do, but it seems to really, those wines do seem to really, I tolerate very well. It is crazy. The difference for me personally, like you said, in how you feel drinking it. And it's, I mean, it's to the point that I have become very skilled. I will say, not that I sneak it into events, but I, (laughs) I found you can do a lot with a big dress and, um, (laughs) But you know, you can't get it in Michigan. It's been really disappointing. I used to be subscribed to it. And now Michigan has some stupid law where you can only, you can only import wines directly from the wine manufacturer. And because dry farm wines is an aggregator, they cannot send wine to Michigan. It's so, uh, so annoying. So I can no, no longer get it. Oh my, is that a new law? It's been around now for a couple of years. Cause I used to get dry farm wines uh, here uh, I used to be subscribed to it and I give them away to my employees and stuff. And now I can't even get it myself. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's, that's insane. Yeah. You would move. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I might have to, I, <laughs> I might I'd have to do something. Well, I will refer listeners to your book because like I said, it is an overwhelmingly incredible resource for answers to, it has the details, it has recipes. And then I know listeners had so many questions about different specific procedures and stuff. And you, you talk about all that as well. So it's, absolutely amazing. I want to be really respectful of your time. Maybe just one last topic to end on because you talk about ingredients, like you you talk about the importance of skincare and you have a recommended skincare plan and you referenced it earlier. You know, it's super easy to do this cleanse, protect. What's the order? Clint? Treat. Treat. Yes. Yeah. Cleanse, protect, treat. Yes. Cleanse, protect, treat. You have your beauty blacklist though and things to avoid in skincare products. And that's something I talk about all the time, like all the time. And I have had concerns about retinol and retinoids, but now I'm wondering if maybe they're not as much of a problem as I thought. What are your thoughts on retinol and retinoids? You know, that's something I know that there are some people who are concerned with them. If you talk to dermatologists and plastic surgeons, I mean, really the number one anti-aging ingredient for skincare is retinol or retinoids. Retinoids basically is a derivative of vitamin A. There's prescription strength, which is Retin-A, and non-prescription strength, which is retinol. Most of the studies have been done on Retin-A, the prescription strength, and have found that it can improve wrinkles, it can thicken the dermis of the skin, or basically improve the collagen thickness of the skin. It can exfoliate the skin, it can lighten dark spots or unwanted pigmentation, and it can even reverse early pre-skin cancers. So it really can do so many things. And so retinol is the -the over-the-counter version of it. Essentially, if you apply retinol to your skin, it's initially inactive and it it undergoes two chemical changes and becomes basically retin-A on your skin. And so most dermatologists and plastic surgeons, if they would pick one anti-aging ingredient that they would recommend, it would be a retinol. I know that there's some concern with it. You know, it is something where you should not take it if you're pregnant or nursing. I think that there have been studies that have found that it can pass through the... uh, umbilical cord and into the baby, but I don't know that there's any science to show that it's actually detrimental. But still, I don't recommend using it if you are pregnant or or breastfeeding. 
Now, if you're concerned about retinol, then there is an alternative called Bakuchiol. Bakuchiol is a plant-based alternative. It's from a plant called the Babchi plant. This has been used in ancient Chinese medicine and Ayurveda for centuries. And there was one study that compared Bakuchiol to retinol head-to-head and found very similar anti-aging benefits to Bakuchiol, but the difference is it had less skin irritation than retinol. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you're at all concerned, you know, yeah, I'm not sure about retinol, then try Bakuchiol instead. Like I said, I don't know that it's going to do exactly the same as retinol, but it does appear to, to be fairly comparable overall anti-aging-wise to the skin. Okay, awesome. The products I currently use, I use a Beauty Counter line, and they they use that ingredient. So, okay, awesome. Yeah, and Beauty Counter has been great because it's been really pushing for you know safer beauty products, and and I think that's so important because right now they, as you probably know, the FDA has only banned what like eleven substances in our skincare, and in the EU it's like hundreds, if not thousands. So, I do think that there is a you know it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, it's a you don't know what you don't know type of a scenario here where a lot of People, skin, quote unquote, skincare experts don't know that, you know, there's all these chemicals that can be in the products that may be potentially harmful, you know, and, and if, if you're just exposed to one, you know, for a period of time, then it may not be a big deal. But when you're talking about a lifetime of exposure to these products and other types of products, it's that cumulatory effect that we're concerned about, you know, and I think a lot of traditional medicine people maybe aren't taking that seriously enough. Well, and to that point, you talk about in the book, your own experience with products and your own sensitive skin. And and this is something I loved about what you talked about because it's the way I am with my products. Like you've, you created your products basically to address the issues that you were experiencing. So people can actually, how does this work? So if they order the book, they will get... Yeah. So yeah, we have a website called autojuvenation.com, autojuvenation.com, where if you go and uh, we have links to pre-order the book, but even if you get it elsewhere, that's fine. If you go to the autojuvenation.com website, then you input your name and your order number in and we'll give you a companion recipe guide. And we'll actually give you a $30 gift card to our online store, yunbeauty.com. So I have a complete skincare line that's made with natural and organic ingredients. It's fragrance-free, it's clean beauty. We'll give you $30 to kind of get you started on your skincare uh, journey. So that will more than pay for the, the price of the book. And so I'm proud to be able to give that out and I'm happy to do that to help encourage people to take good care of their skin. That's amazing. Literally, you're making money on this audience, friends. You kind of are. I mean, if you look at it that way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I have, it says pre-order or order. If people are listening later, will it be an ongoing offer? Yes, yes. So... Yeah. So the book goes on sale January 2nd. So if you listen to this before that, then we do have that as a pre-order bonus. After January 2nd, we will still have that available. There's certain little bonuses that we give for the pre-orders. Like we've got a, a sweepstakes where you can win a huge basket of products and things and red light therapy and all this stuff that we're going to give away just to the pre-orders. But um, otherwise, everybody, whenever you listen to this, if you order the book, go to autojuvenation.com and get your free gifts. Awesome. Well, we will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Melanie. I appreciate it. No, of course. Thank you. Like I'm just so, thank you for making the time, by the way, for listeners, when we were scheduling this, I was booking out really far and he was like, well, I'm kind of do. I need to do it like now because of the launch. And I was like, well, okay, like we will make this happen. So um, for listeners today, he was telling me he had two other podcasts and, and a surgery this morning. 
as well. Yeah, yeah, I did a tummy tuck this morning. And then uh, your good friend, Cynthia Thurlow, did her podcast earlier. And then Gabby Reese's podcast. And now I've got this. And then I've got to do a uh, branded post for Peak Tea once we're done. So and then I think I'm done for the day. Oh, the fasting Jason Fung's tea, right? Isn't that his or no? It's great. It's actually in little satchels. So it's kind of nice because you can, uh, you don't have actual tea bags and stuff. And so we're talking about, they've got kind of their beauty. They've got kind of this beauty uh, combination of their matcha. They've got, uh, it's called BT elixir. Basically it's their electrolyte mix. So yeah, very nice. Something I do, because you talk in the book about how um, you recommend putting spring water on your face throughout the day. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. I used to do that with tea and I still do it with coffee. I don't know if it's actually doing anything, but I was looking at all these skincare lines and they'd have like coffee as an ingredient. I was like, I'll just like put coffee on my skin. And I do that every morning and I find it like tightens my skin and kind of wakes me up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause coffee will, yeah, it will kind of constrict. It's a vasoconstrictor. So it can kind of constrict that skin a bit. It can reduce some of the redness. Uh, A lot of people, you know, we put that in our retinol eye cream because that can help to constrict the puffiness under the eyes temporarily. So yeah, that's nice. I just don't know if you want your skin to smell like coffee. That's the only, that's the only thing. It doesn't really linger. It kind of, Yeah. I I do it in the morning. And then if I do a sauna session, I do it after that. Well, there you go. More than one use for coffee. Just make sure you don't have butter in it when you do it. That that would not be a good idea. I know. Well, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your work. I I swear, the last question I ask every single guest on this show, it's super easy. And it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is, which is something that you talk about in the book. So what is something that you're grateful for? I am grateful for, I mean, I have done, I've got my book coming out and I've done 50 podcasts for it. So I am very grateful for all the people like yourself who are so giving with your time for me to spread my word, word of the book. And essentially is that anybody can look and feel amazing and not feel the need to have to go under the knife. If you just follow the principles of auto rejuvenation of using your body's own regenerative abilities to rejuvenate itself. You know, our bodies are amazing structures. We just have to give it the right tools in the environment to do that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing. You are f- like just filling this black hole of something that we need in the world of cosmetics procedures and every, I'm just so grateful. So friends. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you. Get the book and um, hopefully we can meet in person someday at some conference or something. So thank you. Have a good rest of your evening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got it.